This word on this first Sunday is hope. Yet the word hope is one of those words that means something really different to the Christian than to the culture. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. To the culture, hope is really just a strong wish. To the follower of Jesus, to the Christian, to the believer, it is confident assurance, not even a doubt. To the culture, hope is like an aspiring possibility. Perhaps, maybe, but to the believer, to the follower of Jesus, to the Christian, it is a sure anchor. It's settled. As I was thinking over these different meanings of the word, how the culture sees it, but yet how the Christian sees it, this word hope, say it with me, hope. Here's the images that popped into my head. To the culture, hope is a fingers crossed equation. But to the culture, it's a feet set on a firm foundation. I want us to look this morning at more about this firm foundation of hope from a singular verse in Romans chapter 15. So take your Bibles, would you? Let's turn to Romans chapter 15. I'll work through this verse with you at various times and in various ways. So have your journal with you as well, your new Advent journal. I'd like to have you mark in there or possibly mark in your Bibles. Just make sure you take some good notes. We'll see some beautiful nuggets just emerge from this. Want to chew on those, meditate on those. We'll bounce back and forth between the lab and then, of course, some things that we we'll want to note as far as just notes and words and key phrases. So keep you kind of busy here on this first Sunday of Advent, but want to make sure we draw every uh, bit of wisdom we can from God's Word this morning. In this singular verse, which is really a prayer that Paul prayed for the Roman believers, it does conclude a section on hope. We'll see more of that as we unpack this verse. So there's some context we'll look at as well. But I want us to start by just noticing this prayer, this singular prayer that's really all about hope, that Paul prayed for those believers. Here it is, Romans 15, 13. I'll read it for you first, and I want you to read it with me. Here's what the Bible would say to us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Will you read it with me one more time? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Notice, first of all, if you would, there's, there's three things I want you to see about hope from this verse and the context. But notice, first of all, that God is the origin of hope. We see this just in the very beginning phrase, may the God of hope. Not hard to spot. The idea of God being the God of hope is the idea of source. He's the wellspring. So let's say it like this. You'll see it on the screen. He's the origin of hope. The beginning of hope. Without God, there would be no hope. He's the starting point. And so we say this. He's the origin of hope. He's called the God who sources hope. The God 
of hope. Now, I mentioned to you that there's some things in the context that I want you to see. In the context, which I think most specifically begins about verse 8, we, are see, uh, we see why he's the author or the originator of hope. It's because of what he promised in the past and brought to complete fulfillment, namely the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to be the Messiah and our Savior, and how the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. He was God's hope for the world. And because God promised this, and over hundreds of years delivered on every single one of those promises, we would know them as prophecies, because God delivered on every single one of those, this is where hope began, and it was fulfilled in him. And so God is the author, the beginning point, the origin of hope, and is proven by how faithful he has been to his promises about Jesus. In fact, notice the context here. Look at verse 8 just briefly. He mentions here that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Do you see that in verse 8? That is a reference to the Jews, but how that as God kept those promises, it benefited the Gentiles. You see that in verse 9. They begin to glorify God. And then he gives four Old Testament references between verse 9 and verse 12 from Psalm 18, 2 Samuel 22, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117. The last one, of course, quite familiar, Isaiah 11, a very strong Christmas passage. Notice how verse 12 ends with the word hope. So hope is a thread through this context, and that's why it comes to the prayer saying this, may the God of hope, he knows that God owns hope. It was proven when he promised he'd send a Messiah to be our Redeemer. And in every single prophecy and promise, God delivered 100%. He's faithful. And so he is the God of hope. He's the solid source and foundation of hope. But he's also, watch this, the object of our hope. I find this in the words in believing. I'll just circle those here. Because in, in the beginning part, we see the truth about who God is, and then that informs and enables something about us. We now can believe or hope in, trust in, have faith in God. Because he is the origin of hope, all hope begins with him. He's proven it through the sending of his son. Then what do we do? We put our hope in the God of hope. So he's the object of our hope. We believe in him. Now notice our text here, back with me, about this object of our hope. Because the first part of the verse really describes something about God. The middle part describes something about us. We are to be a people who are believing in the God of hope. In other words, we are to have hope in the God of hope. When we do, watch what happens. I think two things happen that we see in the verse. When we believe, trust, have faith, or hope in the God of hope, first of all, he fills us with all joy and peace. Second, notice the second part. His Holy Spirit makes us abound in hope. Now, I noticed something quite interesting here. I'm not sure if the inventors of Advent season saw this verse or patterned after this verse, but I do think it's intriguing if nothing more than from a Christian cultural perspective, that here are three of the Advent Sundays mentioned. Hope, 
joy, and peace. Do you see that? But which is the beginning point for joy and peace? According to this verse, it's the God of, say it with me, hope. So it makes sense that hope should be the very first emphasis in an Advent season because the God of hope that we put our hope in, who then, according to this verse, fills us with joy and peace. And then by the Holy Spirit's power, he helps us have even more hope. So hope produces more hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, which really, if you don't uh, believe, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given by God to those who believe on the name of Jesus. And thus inside of us, the Holy Spirit is this supernatural divine power to have hope. So I love the way that this verse simply says this. Here's what the origin of hope has done. He's fulfilled every single promise from the beginning of time. So put your hope in him, and as you do, he'll fill you with joy and peace and then give you even more hope. I mean, what a beautiful picture of the Christian hoping in God. So we see the origin of hope. We see the object of our hope and how hoping in God has such a vertical and an internal effect with joy and peace and then even more hope. And then there's just one more thing I want you to see that's not in this verse specifically, but I would say it's the expression of hope. We'll leave it here in the lab for a moment. You can write that down. There it is, the expression of hope. Just hang with me for a second. I want to, see, I want to show it to you in the context because these first two are very vertical. We, we see the God of hope and know that he never fails. Not a single promise has gone unfulfilled. And so we put our hope in the God of hope. All this is a very vertical kind of posture. And then suddenly now we, we begin to see in, in this context, there is a, there's a horizontal display as well. Like something occurs on the outside of such hope-filled people. What is it? It's told to us back in verse 7. Look with me, would you? Welcome one another. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Like what's going on when Paul says that we should welcome one another? And you find this phrase tucked between the hope that's mentioned in verse 4. It's also mentioned in verse 12. It's also mentioned in verse 13. So hope is kind of the thread of the text. And right in the middle of this passage about the hope that God uh, is and that God gives and that God even uh, abounds in his people, he gives this simple imperative, this command to welcome one another. Like hope-filled people have a welcoming, inviting, unifying posture. So what's going on with this phrase? Let me see if I can share with you two things I think it means. One is secondary and one is primary. I'll root them in our context. I won't give you my opinion. I'll tell what I think the scriptures say to us here. I need you to kind of keep your nose in the book and follow me through this, okay? Here's the key verse, at least in regards to the expression of hope, is to welcome each other. I do think secondarily, do you hear me okay? Say that word with me. Secondarily. I think secondarily Paul is aiming at helping the church realize that Though there are Jews and Gentiles, those are the words in the text, or people from all ethnicities, all kinds of backgrounds, we have many different preferences, personalities. Could somebody say amen to that? 
A church that has more than 10 people, it's a miracle that any church survives when it gets past 10. Can we just be honest? There's just such a, ma a massive amount of difference that it's, it takes the Holy Spirit to oil those wheels, doesn't it, for folks to get along. And so he's saying that that is what the Holy Spirit does. That's what Christ enables us to do. And so we welcome each other. I do think secondarily he's speaking to learning to get along and have unity on the basis of Christ's work for us. See this right here? Christ has welcomed you. So do this for the glory of God. So it's rooted in Christ's work for us. And so we treat each other in a welcoming, unifying way because of Christ. I think, though, that's only secondary. Why, Todd? Because as you read verses 8 through 13, remember, it's all about Christ coming and, and, and being the promised Messiah sent from God through the Jews, and yet for the Jews and all the nations. And so as you start thinking about the overall context of this section, and then you scoot back up to verse 1, and you really you begin to see how, how Christ bore our reproach. Um, um, you find that the, the, the context really has a strong evangelistic kind of missional appeal, that we're not just to welcome each other because we're in the family of God, we're to welcome people who are not yet into the family of God through the hope of God, which is Jesus Christ. I think there's a real missional, kind of evangelistic uh, thread through here. That because Jesus is God's hope, we can offer hope to those who have no hope, who don't yet know Jesus, who are outside of God's family, who are not reconciled to God through Jesus. We can offer them hope. How? Through Jesus. I think this is really what, what Paul is aiming at primarily, is to have a posture that's looking out at those who've yet to know God through Jesus and saying, here's the hope of the world. He was sent by God. 300 plus prophecies promised that he would arrive. He did. Every one of them fulfilled. God loves you, Jew and Gentile. And if you just believe in his name, confess your sin, repent, and trust in Jesus, you will have the hope of eternal life, the hope of forgiveness, the healing, the freedom of forgiveness. It's in Jesus Christ. And that's really what I think he's aiming at primarily, is this, is this missional uh, fervency, this evangelistic kind of stance and posture that we take to those who are not yet in the family. We welcome them, not on their own merit and not on our merit, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, our hope. And we call people to repentance and faith. I think that's really what he's aiming at. That is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. Can I just simply take a moment here and note what you heard from the Figueroa family? What you sang in that last song, that if you this morning are looking for healing, forgiveness, you're broken. If you feel like that, I have no hope. If you know you're not reconciled to God, that you, if you were to stand before the Lord this morning, you would have no way to really be justified in God's presence. He's holy, you're not. What bridges that gap? There's only one person who bridges that gap. It's the God-man, Jesus Christ. And in his death and burial and resurrection, Jesus Christ provided 
all the hope every man or woman would ever need for their sins to be forgiven and for them to be reconciled to God. I would just urge you, if this morning you're like, that's the hope that I want, that's the hope that I need, just cry out to God right now and say, God, give me the hope of Jesus, your son. I know that I'm lost, but I repent. I ask you to save me through Jesus, the only hope of the world. This is the posture this church desires to have, a posture of welcoming those who've yet to hear of Jesus, to hear of Jesus and to be saved and to join the family of God. We do that individually and communally here locally. We encourage you consistently. Who, who do you know that does not yet know Christ? And how are you investing in that relationship? How are you praying for them? Are you aware of lost people around you? Do you have your radar on? Are your sensitivities up for those who are, who are uh, going to a Christless eternity? That's part of our responsibility here in Ankeny, Iowa, the Des Moines metro area, to be aware that there are people who do not yet know Christ. We also do this just intentionally through church planting in different parts of, of Iowa and other parts of the world. We send partners. The heartbeat of this church is to make disciples who make disciples, to develop devoted followers of Jesus. This is really what Paul is after. And we do this because Christ has welcomed us. He's forgiven us. He's applied redemption and forgiveness to our life because of his work, and he's reconciled us to God. And so we, that, that's the message we must proclaim. That's the posture we must take. That's the expression of hope we must give to the world. In light of that, can I ask you to take something for a moment and look at it with me? You were given this when you came in. It's a simple brochure about how to pray for some of our partners. That's the word we use for missionaries here at First Family. This is simply a guide to help you pray through those who are across various oceans in foreign lands and cultures sharing the gospel of hope. It's not hard to figure this out. Just read it, pray through it. You can see some things in there that will inform you as to the International Mission Board, uh, what they do. We do partner with them. It's a fantastic sending agency. Over 3,500 people uh, in foreign fields, 80 to 90% of them in unreached, unengaged places. And uh, we are more than happy to help financially. And that's just one of the things that we do. This is one of the ways we can help us to pray for these of our partners who are in these areas sharing the hope of Jesus. Would you join me this week in praying for those with the International Mission Board, one of our sending agencies? If you'd like as well, we have added a give button on our drop-down menu. And this Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. If you want to make a special above and beyond offering to the International Mission Board, just go there. Everything that comes in through that link this month will give directly 100% right to the International Mission Board on top of what we already contribute. Say, Todd, why? It's simple. Because Christ has welcomed us with the message of hope. Let's welcome each other. Yes, secondarily, that means that we should welcome those who are already in the family, but it also means we should have a posture of welcoming those who are not yet in the family by giving the message of hope, and that is the message of Jesus Christ in one word, it's the gospel. So let's band together. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Let's give to the spread of the gospel. That's the expression of hope within the context of these verses. Of course, that conclude with this idea of Romans 15, 13. You see it there with me? Can we read it one more time together? 
Church together, would you? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's the vertical posture. That's the origin and object of our hope that leads then to this expression of hope, welcoming those through Jesus Christ. Let's see if I can put a ribbon on this and a bow, kind of tie it all together, give it to you in a simple phrase you can put in your pocket and take home. Can we do that? Pretty common around here to have things in a one-sentence summary. Here's this week's take-home truth, this first week of Advent. Here's what I want you to kind of lock down on, all right? That the confidence assurance that the promises of God have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. What's the next word? Anchors. That's hope, by the way. Hope's the confident assurance that the promises of God have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So because we know that occurred, our hope isn't a wish. It's not an aspiration. It's not a fingers crossed. It's a feet set on what God has already done. And because of that, it anchors what we believe, how we behave, and what we expect. We believe and know that God is the God of hope. How we behave, we just have this posture, this expression that, man, we want to invite you into this family of hope through Jesus Christ. We have a, a, a bubbling over of joy and peace and even more hope than we even had initially because he's the God of hope. The Holy Spirit produces that in us. And then we expect Christ to return. And our anticipation for the second coming of Christ is as great and as solid as those in the Old Testament who waited for his first coming. Say, Todd, how can that be? Why is that? Because I can guarantee you that what God fulfilled the first time when Christ was promised and came, he will fulfill again. He's batting a thousand, church. And when he says he will send his son again to save his people, to judge the world, to rescue his own, to gather from the four winds, of the four corners of the earth, his elect, to set up and consummate his kingdom. When God promises that, I am confident. I am confidently assured, just as he did the first time when he sent Jesus, that he will once again send Jesus. And so we have this confident assurance, this feet set posture, this anchor regarding what we believe, how we behave, and what we expect. In a word, we have hope. Will you say this take on truth with me as well? You've written it down. You've taken a snapshot of it. Let's just say it out loud together as an encouragement to the body. The confident assurance that the promises of God have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus anchors what we believe, how we behave, and what we expect. As I mulled over this truth, these verses, this context, this prayer from Paul to the, for the Roman believers. As I thought about hope, the culture's definition, but the Christian's definition, how they're different. I sensed in my heart the Holy Spirit nudging me earlier in the week with who this might be for. I don't know every situation individually, but as I wrestled with that question, well, who is this for? Who needs to hear this, and where should this land? And 
How will this edify and build up our body? How, what would a guest hear this and how could they find hope in this? And I just begin to pray, Lord, show me, help me, lead me to make sure this is heard by, by people the right way and the right people. And, and then the Lord began to just kind of share with me. Here's who needs to hear this. Here's who will hear this, Todd. Don't worry, I've got my word going out you just sow it. I'll take care of the fruit bearing. You just sow the seed, Todd. And as I kept praying through that, the Lord brought several scenarios to mind of people who need this hope this morning. So I began to jot them down. Can I share those with you? Things the Holy Spirit just prompted me with as I chewed on this passage. Yeah, this passage, this verse, this truth, it's for that spouse who was surprised with the news that their spouse is leaving. They didn't see it coming. It's been tense, they would say, but they didn't think divorce was on the table until it was. Hope is precisely what you need right now. The permanence of your marriage seems like it's turned into a fingers crossed situation. And I'm not minimizing the sinfulness of an unbiblical divorce or the trauma involved in children in that situation. I'm not minimizing that at all, but I do want you to hear this if you're in that situation and it seems unable to be solved, you can't fix it, control it, you probably think I'm headed for the end of my marriage. Here's the good news I want you to hear. God will never leave you. Set your feet on that. This passage, this text is for the one whose body's been ravaged by an unplanned, even terminal illness. Maybe you're well up in years and you were kind of expecting it. Maybe you're younger and it caught you out of the blue. But the illness has not only been bad, the treatment's been worse. You're not sure how long you have. Hope is precisely what you need right now. Your health seems like a fingers crossed situation. Here's the news you need to hear this morning. God will keep your soul regardless of what happens to your body. Set your feet on that. This passage, this text, this promise, this word hope is for the one whose financial situation looks beyond gloomy and not because they've misspent They've had honest downturns with their job. They've had unexpected expenses for different reasons and they found themselves just without enough to even get to the end of the month. Hope is precisely what you need right now. You've been kind of beating the door down on many places, but jobs for some reason just aren't coming your way. The bills are piling up, and this all seems like a fingers-crossed situation. Here's the news you need to hear this morning. 
God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Set your feet on that. This message, this text, this passage is for the one whose loneliness looms so dark. It feels so heavy that suicide seems like your only way out. In your mind, you might as well end it all. Who would even care, right? Hope is precisely what you need right now. Words like joy and peace, contentment, they seem like a pipe dream. It's a fingers crossed situation. Here's the news I want you to hear this morning from David the psalmist. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Set your feet on that church. This text, this passage, this verse, this truth is for the parent, the family whose child is wayward and straying. They're rebelling to you and to God visibly, verbally. Your family moves from one crisis to the next. You're managing day by day and it's painful. Hope is precisely what you need right now. You hear the call to make disciples who make disciples. Your heart grows weary because you feel like I can't even make disciples under my own roof right now. Here's the news I want you to hear this morning. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Stay on your knees for your kids. It is your first and best action. Set your feet on that. God hears you. This message, this principle, this truth, this text is for the one who's looking at upcoming transitions. And they're dreading every single minute of them. They know it's going to happen and there's nothing wrong with it. But they're not looking forward to the change, the separation Hope is precisely what you need right now. It's hard for you to see good in what's ahead when most of it seems like it's just a, a splitting of things that you think are important and transitions and changes. And how can all of this uh, be healthy? Well, here's the news I want you to hear this morning. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Set your feet on that. First family, do you see the difference between the culture and Christianity now? In every one of those scenarios, which are probably represented in this room, there is a horizontal, cultural, fingers crossed way to deal with it. Good luck with that. There's also a vertical feet set posture to take in the middle of every one of those scenarios. And it all starts and ends with God, the God of hope. 
Is there a horizontal expression after the fact? Are there horizontal effects? Sure there are. But where does hope begin and where does it end? With God. And so in every scenario, whatever your life is, is experiencing and enduring, know this. The God of hope gives you all the confidence you need to set your feet on the foundation that he keeps every one of his promises. He will. So set your feet on God. Put your hope in God. Not just during Christmas, but every single week of the year. And let us keep hoping in him.